Hello, my fellow Bitcoiners, meet the status credit card. Earn unlimited 2% cash back or Bitcoin rewards on every purchase with no annual fee, no foreign transaction fees, and no fees to buy Bitcoin at the market rate. This card comes with status money's premium benefits to help you manage your money, including a net worth and spending tracker, peer comparisons, and the option to video chat with a financial coach. Download the status money app or visit statusmoney.com slash card. Get the status credit card, go to statusmoney.com forward slash card. As the world moves increasingly towards the mainstream adoption of Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will make it possible to materialize your assets in real estate. Through the collateralization of mortgages with Bitcoin and other digital assets, Moon Mortgage will be launching lending solutions to allow investors to easily leverage their assets to purchase investment in owner-occupied properties. Moon Mortgage's crypto mortgage will be launching soon for home buyers in Texas, Florida, and Colorado, and will be open to investors in most states across the U.S. for investment properties. Welcome to the future of mortgages. Visit moonmortgage.io today to register your interest and learn more. Moon Mortgage Residential is registered with the NMLS under number 235334. What is up, guys? Welcome back to another amazing episode of FedWatch. My name is Ansel Lindner. Once again, I am kind of flying solo without CK, but Nolan has agreed to gracious or grace us with his co-hosting chops. So how are you doing, Nolan? You know, I love life, Ansel. The answer is always the same. I'm enthusiastic about the future of humanity. I'm Good. really looking forward to the end of Bitcoin winter which officially oh. happens. Bitcoin winter, I, I know the end day. I can tell you when it's over. When's that? May 18th. Oh, yeah. It's over. <laughs> it's oh, done. Oh, man. May 18th in Miami. Uh, book it. It's done. Yep. It's done. Bitcoin winter over. It's going to be nice. It's going to be warm. We're going to have a great time. Right? I mean, we're talking about taking over the world, not just like making a bit of money and being happy and eating well. No, 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 no. We're talking about taking over the world, taking over energy grids, taking over finance, all of it, right? This is a revolution. We're not in it for hanging out. I'm really looking forward to May because last year was just so much fun. Brought the wife and we had a blast at the conference down there, also South Beach and everything. So it was, it was a great time. Can't wait for May. Yeah, I brought my whole, I brought my kids, everything. We had the best time. So Bitcoin winter over on a set date. Great news. Well, hopefully... Well, we'll look at the Bitcoin chart and hopefully we can get out of Bitcoin, the depths of Bitcoin winter. Maybe it won't be completely behind us before May, but hopefully we can get out of the depths of winter. And we got a lot of stuff to talk about today. We got macro charts. We didn't get to them last week. So I want to make sure we are laser focused on getting through the charts because there's so much, I think, information that you can pull out of these individual charts. Then we're going to look at the BIS quarterly report that just came out and you probably saw the headlines or even talked about it here on the show about the $80 trillion in kind of shadow money that they don't know what's going on with it. So we're going to read that report and go through some of my thoughts on that. And then lastly, we're going to do China trade numbers. They came out and they are looking atrocious. So we're going to dive into that a little bit. So what's up? 
yeah, just something. two things. So yeah. two things on the on the the eighty trillion dollars missing, the little eighty tri the little eighty trillion yeah. dollar accounting mistake. Mm -hmm. You know that I, I I found someone who asked the Chat GPT, uh, the AI interface, what it meant. Oh yeah. He said, yeah. Like, explain it to me like I'm five years old. Yeah. <laughs> Chat GPT is like, well, this looks like a really bad scam, and it looks like they've been secret, and it's gonna fall apart. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> it's hilarious. <laughs> yeah, I mean, what's and the other crazy one we'll talk about the China one. I'm, I'm not, you know, I, I'm the, the numbers are so bad, I think they're fake. We'll talk about it. They're, they're okay. so bad that I think they're fake. Because if they're real, you got major problems, right? Major problems. Oh yeah, major. Mm -hmm. All right. Well, I have some shill things here up front. I do a daily live stream like you do every morning. I also do it on my own podcast, Bitcoin and Markets. You can find that in any podcast app. I post those every the day after the live streams that I do in the mornings, but you can find that on the telegram at t.me forward slash Bitcoin and markets. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner for spaces. I tried to do it on spaces, but spaces is kind of hit or miss sometimes. So uh, I tried to do those simulcasts, uh, but for, for sure, go to the telegram and I'm, I'm there every, every day, multiple posts also with the live streams. So that is my shills. You mentioned Bitcoin Magazine and the conference. Do you want to mention the paper magazine before we get into the stuff? Yeah, I don't. I don't have the the actual ad read on me though. I know the new edition is out now, and you can buy it in major magazine stores across America, including Barnes and Noble. But I don't have the ad read out. But I will advertise my own show, eight a.m. every day go, go. on Twitter, on YouTube, the breakup, eight a.m. every day. We don't miss a day, right? We talk about psychology right it's all about the psychological engine that moves the economy forward we talk about numbers but there's no math it's not it's not economics at all it's all psychology the basic you know cell line is it's not you it's usd right it's not you it's usd right? so, <laughs> all right well let's jump into these charts so chris we are going to chart number one always got to start on the bitcoin chart what i have here is just showing this downward sloping trend line that we've tried, you know, formed this nice pattern that looked like we broke out of it. And then FTX happened. So FTX is what stopped this kind of breakout back in early November. And we're trying to get past that line again. And that it seems to be offering us some resistance. M, I can't be bullish until we break out of this green line, which is 19,000, where a lot of the kind of previous support has now turned into resistance. But once we do break that 19,000, which could happen, I mean, you never know what's going to happen on a day-to-day -day basis. We could get some really big news out about Bitcoin and the price breaks right through that 19,000. But once we do that, I think the bull market, uh, people will turn around and be like, wait, wasn't Bitcoin just killed? You know, didn't FTX just kill Bitcoin? Didn't uh, Celsius, you know, isn't this uh, this Ponzi scheme blew up or whatever? Uh, no, Bitcoin is back at 20,000 again. How is this possible? So there, you know, that's going to bring Bitcoin into the new cycle in a positive way. And a lot of money managers and things are going to look at Bitcoin and be like, hey, you know, this is pretty resilient now. Maybe I can get in, dip my toe in. So that is, I think, 19,000 is this line in the sand that separates the bear market from the bull market. So do you have any comments on the Bitcoin price recently? No, you know, it's, I agree. It looked like it, it was going to break in that point. And, and it's all that trend, you know, it's always that psychological 
trap that people fall in when things trend a certain way. You know, I've been at the bottom of a few of these now. You know, I, I learned about and put all my life into Bitcoin in 2013 and I've been working in the space since. And so I know it feels hopeless sometimes, you know, when you're feeling down here. But again, that's why the psychological element is so important. And when you mention the 20K, exactly, right? Bitcoin's best advertisement is when it survives and the people see that it lived. You know, how many people have you heard that are interested in the space now because it, they saw that Bitcoin didn't die before? And that was the first thing they realized that made it different from other assets, that it could get the worst news. It could have seemingly no hope, yet it rises again. And that there are people who are psychologically ready to push it forward no matter what the price is something that counts for a lot right now because we do live in a world where there yes. is so much negative energy especially around wall street and especially about i mean can you even picture what the world looks like if we have to keep this fiat train going right like, it's like a, i can't <laughs> it's a source it. it's a source of optimism it's a source yeah. of green shoots it really is the only source of that in in this world right now so i totally agree with you all right let's go on to number two slide number two please chris this is the dollar and Pretty much, I was the only Bitcoiner calling for a strong dollar for years. Even back in 2019, pre-COVID, I was calling for a strong dollar. And we finally got that up to 114. And now it's come down. And I'm, I have a few other currency charts here, but it will show you why I believe we're entering this range. So that kind of shaded area on the chart is this new range that I think that we have entered Bit, uh, the dollar will bounce in between there. And this is actually bullish for Bitcoin because if you look at back at the history of the dollar during Bitcoin's lifespan, every time we, the dollar enters this range, which is associated with like reflation of the global economy, when the dollar enters this range, then Bitcoin does very well historically. Explain so, to me that, that reflation of the global economy piece because that sounds interesting. I've never heard that before. Well, you know, the idea is that we... The entire global economy is stuck in a deflationary trap. So it's at the end of a credit cycle. And the way to get out of the credit cycle here is to deflate, to for the defaults to happen. And every time you bail, bail out the system, you kick the can down the road, the dollar gets stronger, you know, the kind of troubles build and get acute once again. And then you have a, a deflationary shock. After that deflationary shock and you have some bailouts again, then you can have a reflation of the debt bubble, but you, you're not out of the debt bubble. You know, you can't ever get out of the debt bubble until you change the money. So that's what we have to do is the dollar, I think, will just continue to stair step higher. And eventually we're going to switch over to a new currency to get out of this, this debt bubble. Abenomics, basically, the, the Japanese situation writ large, correct? Yeah, I mean... Abenomics is all about, it is QQE, you know, the qualitative and quantitative easing, just shock and awe in the system to try to get some inflation and growth. Because in a credit-based system, when money is pure credit, inflation equals growth. You have to have, you know, you have to have money printing to actually get growth because when money is credit, you, you have expansions in the, um, Sorry, I, I lost my train of thought. You get expansions in the credit market means that people are going out there and building new businesses. They're, they're out there expanding what they're doing. And to do that in a credit-based system, you need more credit. So growth and inflation 
and credit expansion are all the same thing. So Abenomics is like, we need to continue to boost this bubble with all, all our guns, all our big guns, bring out the bazookas and try to really pump up this inflation number because we need to build more credit in the system. But that hasn't worked in Japan. It hasn't really worked anywhere. Q, uh, QE has failed everywhere it's been tried. It hasn't really caused any inflation. It's, uh, you know, it's it, just- It was successful in winning a Nobel Prize though, right? Oh, well, yeah. <laughs> I mean, Paul Krugman famously said, you have to promise to be irresponsible. So for people to really think that you're going to get inflation from QE, you actually have to be so irresponsible, appear to be so irresponsible that the market's like, oh my God, they're going to destroy the yen. They're going to destroy the dollar. They're going to destroy these things. And that's, so yeah, that, that Paul Krugman won his Nobel prize for things like that. All right, let's go on to the next slide. That is the dollar. I want to make sure we get to these slides because we didn't get to them last week. So the next slide here, number three, this is the yields, mainly the long, the long bond, but I did put the two year in here as well. The kind of stair step thing there is the Fed funds target range. And you can see every time they raise rates, it goes up to a new higher range. Right now, the five, 10 and 30 year bond or treasuries are below the Fed funds target range. So that's a big deal. This is the first time in this hiking cycle that's happened. It did have, the last time it happened was back in 2019 in January when the Fed actually paused. So will they follow suit? Will they follow their MO? And that was Powell. You know, that wasn't Yellen. That was Powell back in 2019. Mm -hmm. So will he follow his MO and pause again? We'll see. I did. And put that's this where the reverse repo started again, not long after, correct? When they started the reverse repo, mm -hmm. which was QE to get out of that pause that happened not long after. If, I rem if my memory of 2019 is correct. Well, they paused in January. Their first rate cut was in July. And then you had the repo rumble in September okay. of 2019. Okay. Uh, they were doing repo facilities in, throughout 2019. And, but the real big volume happened, you know, after September of mm -hmm. 2019. But on this chart, I did put this red line in to, to signify the bottom of the Fed funds target range. If they raise 75 basis points, people are talking about, will they raise 50, 75, maybe 25? We'll see. But I mean, if they did this 75 basis point hike, the 30 year would be a full percentage point below the bottom of the Fed funds range. I mean, does that even make any sense? It, it, it doesn't to me. Free money. So, Free, money. Yeah. Free money for well, some people. I'm, well, not, not only that, but how is that possible? You know, because... The people that are buying the 30 year, you know, with a three and a half percent coupon, they could go to the reverse repo window. Mm -hmm. And if they raise 75 basis points, they could get like 455 instead of 350. Why would somebody put money into a treasury that's yielding mm -hmm. one percentage point lower than the repo? It does not make any sense. Like mm -hmm. when you look at it that way, the only way that it makes sense is if there is some massive stress out there in the global economy that is these these long bonds are providing some utility that are not uh, associated with their coupon so what utility could they be offering what it is collateral utility it we'll get into this with the bis but it is all of these shadow movements of money you need to have treasuries to enter into that market and play so that is if if this spread gets this big, that means there's massive utility of it out there in the shadow banking system, which then means 
that there is some major stress in in the global financial system. So, so, so yeah. I always worried about demand for bonds. What you're saying is, yeah. uh, you know, what I'm for the T bills. I always thought it would, there'd be demand for T. There was no demand for T bills because who wants them? But what you're saying is because you can use them to enter into these pools, there is a demand, and that's why the number is so le- so much lower. There's demand. There's unspoken demand. Yes. I mean, there's multiple sources of demand for treasuries. It's a flight to safety because it's seen as uh, risk-free. I mean, mm-hmm. it's technically risk-free if you don't include inflation and stuff, right? And there's also the ability to use it as collateral. So if you hold it on your balance sheet, then you can take that and access funding anywhere in the world overnight. So it's there is a utility there. And there's also legal requirements for these entities to hold a certain percentage of treasuries. So that I, I kind of say that there's an unlimited demand. I know a lot of people really? say there's going to be running out of demand for oh. treasuries, but as far as we've seen ever mm-hmm. in the last 20, 30 years, there is an unlimited demand for, especially United States treasuries. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, okay. I, I like your, I believe, you know, I, I never heard that, <laughs> that form of analysis, but I, it makes more sense to me because I've been fed the pablum for years now. By, by a lot of Bitcoiners, right? Who say, ah, oh, there's no demand for T-bills and who cares, government debt. But when you mention the collateral piece, of course, that's a main selling point of Bitcoin in the future as the greatest, most pristine collateral ever yeah. invented, ever available, right? Yep, exactly. Yeah, I think Bitcoin is pristine collateral. Nick Batia, Layered Bitcoin, he is real famous for being the first one to call it pristine collateral. So yeah, I think that that is definitely one of the biggest selling points for Bitcoin. And it's, it has no counterparty risk. So it's pristine collateral, just like gold was, but it can be sent over a communications channel. So it's pretty, pretty amazing. All right, let's go on to the next one. Next chart is S and P 500. We can kind of go through this one a little bit faster, but you can see this, I had to break this into two charts because I didn't want it to be too busy, but again, it hit that trend line and it's coming down, but it is sitting on support. If you go to the next, next slide, please, Chris. This is the S&P 500 with these moving averages in here. And you can see it looked like it was going to break above the 200-day moving average, kind of came back down once it hit that trend line that we saw on the last chart. And now it is sandwiched between the 100-day and 200-day. We'll see how this, this ends up, but it does look like it is in a nice consolidation, in a coiling. You know, it's coiling. It's getting ready to spring. And I think it's possible that it springs higher. This is kind of separates me from a lot of analysts out there. Everybody's on the recession train. Everyone's on the bear train for the stock market. And I'm not. I think that the the way the global financial system works and being into a reflationary period, this is going to be good for risk assets like Bitcoin and stocks, but also the idea of asset price inflation. So asset price inflation isn't what a lot of people think and that there's so much money printing by the fed and the the government that it's some of it's leaking out into assets but if you look at it from who prints the money really and that is banks and in bad times what happens banks want to only lend to the highest credit worthy individuals and they don't want to take risks on say mom and pop businesses uh, that are trying to expand their business, they're going to take the risk on these Fortune 500s. So that's why the stock market and the big fangs and you know the big, the largest cap stocks actually benefit the most during these periods when the money is tight because um, 
lending where mon where money printing happens is actually focused more onto certain assets and that would be stocks that would be housing and it would be bonds of, of all flavors so that is asset price inflation in my mind and the if we are going back into a reflationary period where asset price inflation is really taking off, you know, we're going to have stocks, housing, and Bitcoin all benefit at the same time. It's going to be a pretty interesting thing when everything has gone down in 2022 together, when everything goes up together in 2023. Let me speed through another couple of these, Nolan, before I turn it back over to you. So this is the next one, Chris, is the Hong Kong dollar. And I've talked about this as being a proxy for... Um, Finance or currency stress in East Asia because it kind of is in that sweet spot, you know, between the South China Sea, Japan and China, South Korea. The Hong Kong dollar is where a lot of this stuff happens. We also have the Singapore dollar, but I don't have a chart for that. But the Hong Kong dollar most of the year was pressed up against the top of their pegged range. That means that they were actually um, having to sell dollars and buy Hong Kong dollars to keep the, the peg in there. But now as it as you can see over the last few weeks, that stress has very much been alleviated. It's lower than it was when it started the year, kind of going towards the bottom of that peg. And when you go towards the bottom of that peg, you're actually going to have to buy dollars and sell Hong Kong dollars. So you're going to have to do the reverse of that trade, which will prop up the dollar and put the dollar into that range. And I'm just using this as a proxy to show how like Bitcoin or sorry, how the dollar can actually enter a higher range and doesn't have to drop here. Like a lot of people are thinking that it's going to drop. Okay, next chart is the Chinese Yuan. It is below the all important seven even or whatever you want to say, the seven mark there, because that has historically over the last couple of decades been an important level for the Chinese Yuan versus the US dollar. And it is below that now. This also signals that there is less dollar stress in China, which of course we're going to talk about the Chinese economic data here at the end of this show, but this is a good chart to show that. Next, next one is, this is the last currency that I have here. This is of course the Euro. The horizontal dashed line that I'm pointing out is the bottom of the Corona crash back in March of 2020. You can see how much further down we went with the Euro versus the dollar. It is kind of trying to test that level right now. And if it bounces there, so if the Euro strengthens to 106, bounces back down off of some of that resistance, that would be inverse with the dollar, right? And the dollar would be bouncing off the bottom of that new range and back upwards. So some of the, I'm just pointing out some of these things to show the dollar is going to be range bound. That is good, I think, for stocks and bonds and Bitcoin. So kind of a whirlwind of macro charts there, currency charts. But Nolan, do you have any comments on these global currencies and that kind of thing? No, the, the euro one was interesting. I didn't notice its recovery. I haven't been, not recovery, relative recovery. I hadn't really been right. paying attention to it. The Hong Kong one was interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's been traditionally the gateway for Chinese USD liquidity because it's a more or less a US dollar with the seven to one peg. So I expected all that to look a lot nastier given the situation in China with the economy there with we're going to get into some of the Chinese data, but it's hard to miss what's going on there. Not looking great financially. So that stuff surprised me. And I thought your analysis was really helpful to understand what's going on. So that was stuff that I'd never heard before. So awesome. I'm going to use it. Yes, I'm the rebel Bitcoiner or the contrarian Bitcoiner. So, all right, let's move on to the BIS story 
So did you guys talk about that earlier today? Not today. I, I spoke about it two days ago on my morning show. Okay. And I think we spoke about it right when it came out. The day it came out, we were we had a good laugh on on news and notes. And, uh, <laughs> but please tee it up because if you haven't heard it, everyone needs to hear this news. It's amazing. It's it's hilarious. Absolutely. It's clown world in in all of its beauty, right? Absolutely. The Bitcoin Magazine podcast is brought to you by CrowdHealth. With open enrollment upon us, what if you didn't have to pay healthcare premiums anymore? What if you can invest in Bitcoin instead? With CrowdHealth. You can choose your doctors, put aside money for your health expenses in your own account, and even hold a large part of it in Bitcoin. Pay one low monthly total to fund an account that is yours. If a large expense comes up, CrowdHealth will crowdfund the bill for you to pay quickly. Go to CrowdHealthBTC.com and use code BTCMAG and experience freedom from health insurance by utilizing Bitcoin. Right now through the end of the year, you can get your first six months for just $99 per month. Don't get stuck in a bad insurance plan again. Instead, go to crowdhealthbtc.com and use code BTCMAG to sign up. CrowdHealth is not health insurance. It's a totally different way of paying for healthcare. Terms and conditions may apply. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com. So yeah, the BIS comes out with these quarterly reports. And this was a, a, fi- a feature and the, well, these quarterly reports have usually maybe two or three. Yes. Let's let the, B, let's let the, the viewers know what the BIS is first. I'm Bank sure of Inter- it, Yeah. Bank of International Settlements. It's in Basel and it, they are kind of the home of international banking regulations that most countries sign on to, to regulate their financial systems in these countries. So people call it the central bank of central banks. It's not exactly that, but uh, that's pretty close. And they also do a lot of good academic work. They have teams that write a lot of working papers and stuff. So very interesting. Every quarterly report, they have a couple of these features, featured articles that come out. And this one was one of those for, I guess it would be Q3 of this year that just came out. And uh, yeah, so the title of this is Dollar Debt in FX Swaps and Forwards, Huge, Missing, and Growing. So Chris, could you bring up slide number nine? I just have some text to go through. So I'm going to read a lot of this, but I do have some screenshots for you guys to follow along with on YouTube and on Rumble. So here we go. FX swaps, forwards, and currency swaps create forward dollar payment obligations that do not appear on balance sheets and are missing in standard debt statistics. So what they're saying is, you know, if you take out a dollar denominated loan, that bakes in the cake demand for dollars in the future because you have to pay off that dollar denominated loan with dollars in the future. So yeah, these uh, FX swaps, forwards, and currency swaps create forward dollar payment obligations. Let's continue here. So non-banks outside the U.S. owe as much as $25 trillion in such missing debt from up from 17 trillion in 2016 non-us banks owe upwards of 35 trillion 
Much of this debt is very short term and the resulting rollover needs make the dollar fund make for dollar funding squeezes. Policy responses to such squeezes include central bank swap lines that are set in a fog with little information about the geographic dis distribution of the missing debt. So that's their intro to this. You can see that they say here, these are typically very short term debt and we'll read the, well, I don't think I included that actually, but the, the way this breaks down is about 30% of this is overnight. Well, that's not that's bad. How, I, I didn't know that, but still that, that, that suggests this re reverse read that that's like a type of life support. Yes. Like if you need the overnight, that is life support. Am I, am I incorrect? Well, not necessarily life support, but it is, it can, it can uh, be shut off at any moment. Right. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's extreme. It's more risky in my mind. If it's overnight, that means that if there's some sort of liquidity crisis, 30% of this market is going to be in trouble overnight. Another, wow. another 30% or 40% is like one week. So that means that like 70% of this, this missing quote unquote missing dollars are actually have a term of one week or less. And let's just give it a like context, the context that I provided for this and tell me if, if this is use if you would agree with this type of context. So $80 mm -hmm. trillion, if it was an economy, it yeah. would be like the second largest economy in the world after the United States. I think 80 trillion is like more or less the Chinese economy, maybe a little lower. So it'd be like the third economy of the world. No, the global economy is 100 trillion. Oh, I thought America was 100 trillion and the rest of the world was another 100, but I, I don't know. No, the U.S. is about 20, 25 trillion. Okay, yeah. Oh, yeah, and, yeah, okay, yeah, I got all my numbers off. Yeah, yeah. you're right. Yeah, 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 okay. So, it, so it's the largest, yeah, it's, it's the largest oh, yeah. in the world. Yeah. It's a, by far the largest in the world. And it's, it's <laughs> staggering, dude. It is honestly staggering. And they say that in this piece. Amazing, staggering, unbelievable. Like they keep using those type of terms because the amount of money... 80 trillion is, is I don't think people can comprehend. I can't, I, there's yeah. no way to comprehend it. So, so what I did was, and th this is something I found on Twitter and I'll read it now. This is from the chat GPT, the AI thing that everyone's using. Yeah. So yeah. When this number came out, someone asked it, like, explain this to me like I'm five, right? <laughs> so here's what the AI said. Okay. The bank of international settlements is like a big bank for other banks. They have noticed that some companies that are not banks have a lot of money that they borrowed from other banks. This money <laughs> is not on their books, which means they are not showing it to anyone. It's like a secret. These companies owe the banks more than $80 trillion, which is a very big number. The money is in the form of something called FX swaps, which is like a special kind of loan that uses money from different countries. So in the end, is this like a bunch of X coin held in collateral <laughs> that is trying yeah. to suggest they have a loan? Is that what's going to happen here? Is the whole thing just FTX? Is that what's going on? Is the BIS just like this big offshore, not a bank, uh, some offshore mailbox, basically, right? No one, there's no accounting, right? They don't, if they're missing 80 trillion, they're not accounting, right? So, well, the, that's, that's a good point. The, the entire system is based on trust, right? Because you credit, first off, credit mm -hmm. has trust like inherent in that. And you have to trust your counterparty and all this. And so when we have these liquidity events, or even if banks get a, a whiff of someone being insolvent, 
that could lock up the entire market. And if these things are, you know, 30% overnight and 70% a week or less of $80 trillion market, I mean, it is. So I'm, I'm just a stupid lawyer with some business education and some science education and, and, and all that. Right. I'm not a fancy economist, so I'm just a stupid lawyer. But what I know is if you're not measuring, you're not managing. That's like a simple adage, right? That they yep. learn in all the business schools. If you're not measuring, you're not managing. Yep. These guys are not measuring shit. Nothing. If they can't account for $80 trillion, what the fuck's going on? Well, that's that's a good point. I mean, the central banks aren't measuring it, right? So they that that's a good point. The central banks aren't managing it. So they're not really in control of it. But you know that each bank, each individual bank knows how much business they're doing. It's just not in the traditional accounting ways. So they're not reporting it in the same ways. And the Fed is not looking at it. The, the regulators aren't looking at it. It is completely op- you know, shadow banking system. And so- These are dark pools of liquidity that we don't even know about, right? These are just literal dark pools of liquidity instead of an exchange. Like, I mean, in the end, that's what FTX was. It was just a dark pool of liquidity. It was not an exchange. I mean, I mean literally, not marketing and what well, they presented themselves at. It was just a place where we didn't know who had what it was a venue to trade, right? These things exist all around the world. Not everything is a regulated exchange that does markets and, and, and trades. So right. it's, it looks like there is an $80 trillion dark pool <laughs> of liquidity in the world and yep. nobody knows what the fuck's going on. Right, well, I mean, we kind of know what's going on because of interest rates. And that's one of my things that, you know, a lot of people that looked at the Federal Reserve, they looked at interest rates, they're like, oh, they're at ZERP, you know, zero interest rate policy. How do they stay this low? There's gotta be manipulation. The Fed is always manipulating markets, but it's not the case. You don't have to have these complicated conspiracies to if you can say, well, there's this opaque market of 80 trillion. And this 80 trillion is actually sloshing around and there's some stress in that market and so now we, we get a window on this, this 80 trillion by looking at interest rates, by looking at what's going on in the economy. So you, don't, you can't have an exact thing like a, a blockchain where you can look at every balance in, at every bank or anything like that. But just like any market, you kind of get a, a, a understanding of what's happening in the rest of the market by looking at prices. And so when you look at interest rates and things like that, then you can get an understanding of what's happening in the shadow banking. Does that make sense? Yeah, it does. Yeah, it does. And, okay. and interest, you know, you can even use it in the plain sense. Like there's people interested and therefore there is yield off of what people are doing. So it has to be managed, like you said, from at least the risk management side of the commercial banks accessing these liquidity pools, understand their position relative. It's yes. like a window into the room. You'd have to get everyone's window and their perspective to understand what's inside the room. You can't just look in the room yourself and see what's going on, but through each individual portal from each commercial bank's perspective, you could piece it together technically. Yeah, I mean, you can look at the aggregate, I guess. Mm -hmm. So you can look at the market price of interest rates around the world and also exchange rates. So like I look at these currencies for a reason because these currencies give you an idea of what's going on in the in the shadow banking system because mm-hmm, of mm-hmm. all these money flows. But let's go, they, they talk about this a little bit. They explained it actually in the paper. So Chris, can we go to slide number 10, please? And I'll just read this out. So embedded 
in the foreign exchange market is huge unseen dollar borrowing. In an FX swap, for instance, a Dutch a Dutch pension fund or Japanese insurer borrows dollars and lends euro or yen in the spot leg and later repays the dollars and receives euro or yen in the forward leg. Thus, an FX swap, along with its close cousin, a currency swap, resembles a repurchase agreement or repo with a currency rather than a security as collateral. Unlike repo, the payment obligations from these instruments are recorded off balance sheet in a blind spot. The 80 trillion plus in outstanding obligations to pay US dollars in FX swaps slash forwards and currency swaps, mostly, mostly very short term, exceeds the stocks of dollar treasury bills, repo and commercial paper combined. The churn of these deals approaches approached five trillion per day in April of 2022, two thirds of daily global FX turnover. And, and two and a half times the high of what reverse repo even reached in the spring when it was doing the two trillion a day. Yes. And we thought that was the worst thing in the economy at the time. <laughs> yeah, well, this I like looking at this type of stuff, the FX churn that they're talking about here, mm -hmm. the five trillion a day, because when I think about Bitcoin, I think about how big does Bitcoin have to be to become a global reserve currency? You know, it has to have the ability, the throughput capacity to get to at least a trillion in daily throughput and sustain that. And it would be nice if it could get five. I mean, a lot of this. This right here of this five trillion per day is actually like financialized waste. Mm. It shouldn't have to be this way, but it is because that is how the market deals with being yeah, credit-based money. Yeah, it's it's Burger King in Japan having to repay something in dollars, and they have to get Treasury management involved, and it's all these companies all across the world every day yeah. trying to pay their U.S. bills, but they're selling burgers for yen, and they got to figure it out. I'm, I'm right. totally simplifying, but that's it, right? Yeah, there, there's a lot of duplication. There's a lot of all this stuff. So that five trillion, really, you could probably in a Bitcoin world, it could be one or two trillion. Mm -hmm. But Bitcoin needs to grow. That's why a lot mm -hmm. of people, you know, they they want to. They're happy with Bitcoin as it is. They say, mm -hmm. oh, it doesn't necessarily need to grow and all this stuff. But it mm -hmm. does. If it wants to be a world reserve currency and do all the great things that mm -hmm. it can do, it has the potential to do. It has to get a higher throughput. And how do you do that? by the price going up the price mm -hmm. needs to go up what right now we're at about 300 billion dollar market cap you know we need to get to that 10 20 trillion dollar market cap so another with, with 10 percent flying basically. around in a day yes yeah. right to to yeah. be able to approach or to replace this system that we're talking so about here let, let, let's talk a little bit about how the the current system is you know, potentially vulnerable from this. And we've got Frosty mm -hmm. Flake here in the comments who says, this is just Euro dollar creation. It's not new. Right. Now hold that in your head for a second. And when I think of this in terms of like dollar milkshake, which we talked about a bit on the show last week, right? That mm -hmm. in a, there is an argument out there that the dollar's strength in this environment forces all other fiat currencies, which only have any meaning relative to the dollar. The dollar is the measuring stick, right? So other currencies have value relative to the US dollar, therefore we can understand them. But, yeah. but the US dollar is the the Rosetta Stone or whatever you will. It's it's the the it's the calibrator of measurement for the other systems. So in this world where they're talking about all this other Forex and, and all this other stuff, you know, the dollar milkshake theory says that all other coins will die. 
right? That that if we enter this world where the dollar starts to become almost a global currency without competitor, right, which is kind of where we're at, that others, especially if they can't have the same monetary policy as America. So we've already seen, I think two weeks ago, South Korea, the central bank asked America to slow down with the rate increases because they couldn't keep up. Yeah. And you're getting more and more of this arbitrage cross-border because no one else's economy is as healthy as America's in terms of being able to have a little bit of wiggle room on the balance sheet to be able to, you know, have more sovereign debt or have flexibility for the interest rates. And and so I, I'm not saying I have any special insight that I know dollar wrecking ball is coming, dollar milkshake is coming, but but that would take care of all of this sloshing around money that you're talking about, right? All these people who are trying to arbitrage daily the difference between their currency, their monetary policy, their fiscal policy versus what's going on in the U.S. could get pinched or squeezed in this instance. Or, you know, keep on that trade as you described it, which will lead to a spiral out of the other coins and all the activity into the dollar. Is, is that a proper reading? Well, well I think, I mean, you bring up the milkshake, the dollar milkshake, and I think that this is exactly that, okay? This mm -hmm. is exactly the dollar milkshake, mm -hmm. but there's no way to fix it. Like the real, the real way to fix it would be to let everyone default and then you just wash everything out, right? But that, you can't do that really because that means, literally that means everything goes to zero mm -hmm. and we have like the lights don't come on the next Except day, guns. right? Except guns. Yeah, I, I mean, you have guns, guns but you zero in that environment. <laughs> You have guns, but you don't have lights that work, nope. right? <laughs> nope. So that is, that's why they won't let it collapse. So there, there is only one path and that's higher, bigger bubble, more mm -hmm. trillions. Mm -hmm. Like if it's gone up from say 50 to 80 mm -hmm. in the last five years, in the next five years, it's going to go from 80 to 150. I mean, it's just, it has to keep going. So and that hot. Is, hot. So I, I, my analysis, I add on to the dollar milkshake theory the idea of low growth and low inflation. So not only is the U.S. sucking all of the value through the currency system and the dollar is going to continue to get stronger, but you also have to add debt to keep it going and higher debt burden with less productivity, you just get lower growth. Mm -hmm. So you're going to get lower and lower growth, even though you're increasing the amount of dollars in the system, that doesn't matter because there's, there's, more debt burden. The, the burden of the debt grows faster than the debt itself. And so you just continue to get lower and lower growth. Now, the only way out of this is to change the money, to have a new system. And that's why I'm, my big thing on Bitcoin is that Bitcoin has to replace the system because there, there is no, like you said at the beginning, Bitcoin is optimism. The only thing, this system just looks worse and worse and worse as time goes on. Bitcoin looks better and better and better. So now I want to talk about that comment in, you said that this is just the Euro dollar. Was somebody in the chat saying that? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah, of course. And I've been talking about this for a very long time, that this is, this is the shadow banking system that has been here for many decades. It just continues to grow. And now we're here sitting here at 80, at a minimum 80 trillion. This isn't even, we don't even know if they're counting all of it right? This is just what they have found. We can't count it. Yeah, we have right. no idea. You know, what, what do the cartels actually have buried in Mexico? Where's that money? You know? <laughs> Does anyone, is that in this 80 trillion? How many trillions is that? Where did it go? You know? Yeah. And some credit that people don't count a lot is personal back, like just 
for example, if you have a small business and you have like accounts receivable from somebody, you're extending credit. You're not a bank, but you're extending credit to your supplier or your customer or whoever, mm-hmm. and that you're going to say, okay, well, I get paid in 30 days or something. That is actual credit too. And so there is credit out there that is uncountable, really, mm-hmm. uh, I think. Well, Milton Friedman, I think, talked about this in the earliest days of the dollar and the euro dollar coming into existence. And he said, because we can create it psychologically so easy, and he would create euro dollars as, a, as like a stage trick, right? I owe you mm-hmm. a dollar. Euro dollars, <laughs> like you know, <laughs> I owe you ten dollars. You know, there, there, we created money, right? All right, because so I have one. Debt, he was already talking about that it, because because we couldn't tell the difference in the dollar system as he was describing it already in the fifties and sixties, because mm-hmm. debt and credit and the money are all the same thing. He says we can actually psychologically create dollars just by going to lunch in the world, like like I buy you lunch in Tokyo. And I say, I'll pay you back when we get to America. Well, we've created dollars. Created money. Yeah. We've created money, right? He was pointing that out early, saying that's the problem with the system. Because we'll never be able to count how much there is, because there's no way to count. There's just literally no way, right? Because you can, because debt is the same thing. Because they're confused that debt and dollars in that system are one and the same thing. Any action creates it, which he argued was going to create a massive problem. Yeah. And well, the, the way that you count it is the same way you count the shadow money is by prices in the economy. And that's one reason why they've gone to CPI being so important. You know, like, why do they count CPI? Why do they even care about prices? Why don't they just count the money? Well, because they can't count the money. So they have to count, look at the prices and say, oh, prices are going up or down or whatever. So this is the type, how much inflation is out there. It's all backwards, man. It's all backwards. Bitcoin. That, that's better. why I use a psychological frame on my show. You know, you know, in Jungian analysis, how you manage your shadow, it's called, how you have individuation. Well, the first thing is called encounter. You have to encounter your shadow. But the word count is right in there. <laughs> like you got to count, hmm. right? Because if you can count, you can deal with your problems, right? And a human being, just like a country has very similar psychological frames, right? They've got, America has a shadow. It has a dark side that it's got to deal with all the time. And it's got to, you know, bring that out from underneath and and work through the system in order for it to propel forward. So the whole point of psych, you know, the Jungian stuff, not, not, not all the other psychotherapy and all that, but just this idea that we have a negative side, you know, it literally, there's three stages to individuation in, in the Jungian model, encounter, merger, assimilation, right? So, you encounter your negative self, you become one with it, and then you move on with life as a, as a new human being with new skills and qualities. So that, that's why I use the psychological frame. It's literally counting Bitcoin is its number one feature. We can count it, right? That's it. We can count it. That's all you need to know about it. You can't count any of the other money. And I'm right. pretty sure counting money is the most important quality of money. Right. Of all the ones <laughs> the stupid nerds will tell you, oh, it's got to be a unit of account and all this shit. That's just economists looking in the mirror. I've always said that. That's the old definition, right? The new definition is whatever you want it to be, but you got to count it. It's got to be countable, right? That's it. <laughs> That's it. Not only can you count it today, but you can count it in the future. Mm-hmm. You know what it's going to be in the future, mm-hmm. at least at a certain block height. You don't know necessarily mm-hmm. what date it will be there, but you do know at a certain block height, it's going to be a certain supply. But I have one of uh, this, this slide that has images on it can you bring that up uh, chris number 13 so these are some charts with the 
to show what they found here in FX. And on the, the left most chart, the green line is US dollar denominated and the orange line is total. And they estimate that about 88 to 90% of all of this off balance sheet stuff is in US dollars. So that shows, you know, the dollar is king. The dollar is what this the global financial system is a dollar-based system. And I will also say that, you know, these other currencies like the euro or the yen that might have a small sliver, they're based on the US dollar too, because they hold US dollars in their reserves. Um, the middle chart is showing kind of the, the mature by maturity. So the large pink section is less than one year. And like I said, about 30% is overnight. And about 70%, I believe, is less than a week. So that is, that's pretty crazy. Okay, so that, that's all I have for the BIS. I have a few more, you know, quotes here, but we need to move on to the China stuff because we only have a couple minutes left. So let's roll into that first slide. Chris is number 16. That's all the, the statistics on the Chinese trade data that just came out for November. And man, oh man, was it bad. So exports sank 9% from the same period last year. So from November, November of 2021, and November of 2020, comparatively, there's a 9% drop in exports. And that is in dollar terms. And that dollar is higher. So that means the volume is actually much lower than 9%. It's probably 20% reduction in volume in one year. So that's pretty crazy. Imports fell over 10%, 10.9%. Exports to the U.S. fell 25% year over year. Imports from American, uh, of American goods, so from the U.S., sank 7%. And then also their, Q, their Q3 economic growth, it was positive. It went up 3.9%. And in Q2, it was actually 2.2%. So it is a little bit improvement in their growth rate. But remember, China is used to 7, 10, 15% growth rates. And when you have, I, I always try to come back to this fact about credit. If you're growing your credit, at 10% every year, you know, and then you shrink your growth rate to 3%. There is not enough currency units to pay off that old debt, right? So you can't slow your growth rate down without a massive default happening. And that's, I think what we're seeing over there in China is there's their growth has been slowly going down for the last 20 years, but now it's just falling off of a cliff. And there's going to be a lot of defaults, a lot of economic damage from that over there in China. Nolan, I have one more slide here, or actually I have three more slides, but one more story. And that is the freight rates from China to West Coast are down 90%. I'll include this link in, I guess, in the show notes of the podcast version when this comes out. But I do have a couple charts to show this. So if you go to actually, Chris, skip 18 and go to 19, please. This is showing the West Coast specifically China to the West Coast. And you can see just a few months ago, it was over $4,000 per container. And now it's down to $1,500. And then actually now go to 18, please, Chris. And this is showing just the broad global index of containers. These are those 40-foot mm -hmm. containers that you see on those big boats, right? Mm -hmm. And you, obviously you see the fallout from COVID, this big, huge bubble in 2021. And now it's pretty much come all the way back down. So this is a global index of container shipping, and it's pretty much back to pre-COVID levels. But I'll also add, 
and what I like to say on my live streams. So guys, join the Telegram t.me for slash Bitcoin and markets for my live streams. But I say that the drop in economic activity that this this chart right here is a great example of this. This drop actually feels like a recession because when you boost up there, then you kind of have a, a horizontal period and then you start falling. All those producers get screwed. All the people that made business decisions based on these higher prices, now they're screwed. You know, when prices are high, these producers start producing more. And then they, when the prices fall, now they have to cut back. Now they're hurt. So it's not just a lot of people look at the consumer side of the house, but this feels like a recession so much because we are coming, we're on the downswing all the way through the economy. We're returning back to normal. And what is that normal? That normal is post great financial crisis, normal, low growth, low inflation, deflationary grind. And it feels like it feels like a recession because of that return to normal. So, all right, Nolan, I did my rant. What do you have to add here to these China numbers? Yeah, a couple of things on the Chinese stories. So first of all, I, I, I have confidence in the data around the shipping containers, volumes, that all makes sense. The 26% export thing, I worry, is a psyop in the sense that, look, we're in an economic war, right? America is anyway, with yeah. China. I'm not saying things are going well in China at all, right? I, I predict collapse, revolution, all that stuff in China, right? I, I, I see that pretty clearly. But if it was already 26% or whatever in exports down, I think China would be even worse shape than it is. Like that, that, that is a huge number, right? That, that's not a little bit. So if any bit of that is not part of some psyop, not part of some tactic or strategy to uh, change perception of China economically in America, then they don't have much longer. I mean, this is a, this is a question of months before that thing goes belly up. <laughs> I mean, if those yeah. numbers are, are not part of a PSYOP is what I'm saying, right? Not part of, a, of an exercise in, on American media to paint the Chinese situation as super bleak. Now, I'm not, I, do, I, I, I think it is super bleak, right? I'm, I'm not saying China is doing so much better and are in a great position. I think they're screwed. I think the CCP is absolutely screwed. And, but when I see those numbers, I say, well, <laughs> they couldn't survive that if it was true today, right? Now you can weld people in their buildings and you can you can do enough, right, to keep it going, but that's what we're seeing, right? We are seeing in China that economic growth is no longer the metric for social cohesion. They've embraced no. full authoritarianism. You know, I've I've mentioned it before that the demographics are way worse than they've let on. They're missing young people. The population is lower, not just in total numbers it's not 1.3 billion it's like 1.2 billion but that missing 100 million are young people and you don't want to be missing 100 girls productive people girls yeah but productive right the age is is really important so you don't want to be missing them and it looks like they're missing them so they are not you know and i've seen there's a university of chicago study that i've been following <clears throat> that came out this past october that used the nightlight as a better metric than gdp and what they did was mm. they, they, they crossed reported GDP of free market economies with the actual satellite growth of nightlight and just looked for the delta, 
right? So it didn't matter what the numbers were. If the growth in night light was approximate to the growth in GDP, that was a positive indicator for this study, right? It meant right. that you were somewhat truthful, like at least it was in the ballpark, right? What they found in autocratic countries was that it was 40% off, right? It, was, it almost aligned in European, you know, America, of course, was almost what you'd expect, right? Night light increased by the same, yield, the same uh, uh, pace, the same rate that the economy increased. But in the case of China, the night lights, and this is a one of the peer reviewed, whatever the hell that means these days. Yeah. Uh, but this is a University of Chicago thing and people take it seriously. And what they saw was China has been misreporting GDP growth by 40% a year. Not only are they not in a position to fight America for global dominance in the economy, they're not even in a position to survive, right? So perception was, was has a lot to do with what's going on now. It's just satellites talking about if people have a, a yard light or something, right? So it's not yeah. really hard science, but it's clear that they're not as rich or as populous as they thought they were, as they said they were. So hard to trust any of this data, but good thing it's being tracked and followed and, and we're looking at it because big things are happening there and it could change the whole world. We saw the Evergrande guy, right? There's a real estate sector, like apparently no one's paying their mortgages over there. Again, a lot of this could be economic warfare propaganda, right? No one's paying right. their mortgage. You hear that in America. Is it true? I, I bet. But the Evergrande guy, I remember that was the big loss last year of the hedge funds, the real estate hedge funds. Yep. This is one of the big Hong Kong funds that was all about exposure to Chinese real estate, all kinds of money. The guy jumped out of a window this week. He's dead. Right? He's gone. He's... <laughs> so I don't think things are looking there, looking great over there, you know? Yeah, all good points. I, you said you don't believe the fake numbers because it's probably mean it, it would mean it's horrible over there i think that they're not faking the numbers necessarily i mean they are we, we know china fakes the numbers they've actually their own high up officials have said as much that they fake the numbers so we know that they fake the numbers but i think that where, where the main illusion is about china is social cohesion and mm. all that stuff i think it's much closer to breakup or it's much closer to mass riots. We already saw the mass riots, right? Mm -hmm. But I think that's that's much more, the, the social cohesion is actually overplayed. That's where mm -hmm. the fakeness comes from, not yeah. from these numbers. But yeah. I mean, we're kind of saying the same thing, just have a different- No, I, I agree with that. The social cohesion is is not there, right? There, no. I, I've heard they've got about 300 million diehards that would kill to keep the CCP in power. And that's kept the country in line so far. But 300 million out of 1.3 or whatever billion ain't enough, right? That ain't enough. <laughs> There's other, yeah. even when you see the protests that went on last week, right? You, you know, you look at, you look at the number of people out there protesting and the number of cops there were. Had that been in America, I'm sorry, but it's over in about 15 minutes. <laughs> now, the difference in America is you know that it's not all going to get solved there and everyone's going to go back home and get their own guns for the real show afterwards. So. I understand why they're not as quick to jump into the fray because they're going to lose bodies, right? It's, it's, people are going to die. So uh, I understand why they're not as quick on the draw to overthrow these crazy people. But something's got to give over there. Something's got to give. And and the social cohesion, like you said, is absolutely not there. I don't, I don't expect this thing to go much. I think we're entering back into the warlord era of that part of the world. Where, and that's what the CCP, right? if you go in history, that's what the CCP got rid of, right? It went empire, then warlords then CCP. I think we're headed back to a place where the different regions start competing against each other again. And 
hopefully it's all peaceful, right? Hopefully it's just economic war and we don't have to deal with what could be one of the greatest human tragedies the planet has ever seen. Well, yeah, and the last thing I'll say before we got to wrap, because we're running up here on time, is the Soviet Union lasted 70 years. And the CCP is over 70 now, right? I, but I don't know if it's going to see 80. Mm. So we'll see. These communist regimes, they end up blowing apart. And maybe China bought themselves some extra time because they did adopt so many capitalist type things, you know, several decades ago. But now they're reversing that. And so maybe that accelerates. But anyway, we'll, we'll continue to report on China. We'll continue to report on the BIS and the Fed and all the currency stuff here on FedWatch. Nolan, thank you for joining. And I, so I love to... the show, man. It's a great show, dude. Love it. <laughs> Thanks. And I just want to plug my stuff one more time. Bitcoinandmarkets.com. That's my website. You can sign up there and get notified of all the stuff that I do. Also join the telegram t.me forward slash Bitcoin and Markets. Follow me on Twitter at Ansel Lindner. And that's it. Nolan, am I handing it back to you? Yeah, you'll see me at 8 in the morning tomorrow for another episode of The Breakup. Thanks, everyone, for joining. Like and subscribe. We do our best on the show to bring you all the most important information, right? And don't forget, May 18th to 20th, Miami, the official end of Bitcoin winter. It's over. Guarantee it. I guarantee it. What is up, audio listeners? Thank you for enjoying another episode of FedWatch. Down in the show notes, you will find all the appropriate links to our social media, the original version of this podcast, and community links. Also, check out BitcoinAndMarkets.com, where I put out a free weekly newsletter every Friday. And there you can also help support the show by signing up to become a paid member. See you next time. Come celebrate Bitcoin winter in Miami at Bitcoin 2023. The largest Bitcoin conference in the world returns to Miami from May 18th to the 20th. Head on over to b.tc forward slash conference to get your tickets today. Use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off of your tickets before prices go up. Bitcoin is for everyone. Lefties, righties, and rejectors of the false dichotomy alike. And that is why the newest Bitcoin magazine print edition is called the Orange Party Issue. It features articles by President Naya Bukele, Jeff Deist, Beauty On, Natalie Smolensky, Eric Kaysen, Max Kaiser, and Jimmy Song. Get your copy at your local Barnes & Noble's bookstore or from the Bitcoin Magazine store at store.bitcoinmagazine.com and use promo code BMLIVE to get 10% off your annual subscription today. If you're like me and want to gain a deeper understanding of what's going on within the Bitcoin market and broader macro environment, you need to subscribe to Bitcoin Magazine Pro today. There's both a free and paid version of this daily newsletter where our market analysts break down what's going on in the markets so you don't have to. Subscribe today at BitcoinMagazinePro.com.